So similar format to last week, guys. I got an outline posted up here. So these are the seven points we're going to work through tonight. and do a bit of review after I pray. Uh, being precedes doing. Talk about that. Setting and keeping standards. Teaching doctrine to your children. Evangelizing your children. 20 mechanics of fatherhood. Uh, and then that last section, it starts with you. So let me pray. And we'll get started with a quick review of last week. Father in heaven, thank you for being our father. And thank you for being uh, the father prototype and, and not being like fathers here, but only some fathers here being like you, Father. And when we see godly fathers, when we see good fathers and gracious fathers and loving fathers, we, we understand who you are. But God, you also know that we've got a lot of baggage when it comes to fatherhood because we live in a world where there are not many uh, fathers, God. So help us through this teaching, through your word. Help us to understand indeed what fatherhood is and what fatherhood does. And we pray that the, uh, the word we looked at last week, coupled with the word that we look at tonight, would equip us as dads, would encourage us as dads and as future dads, so that you would be glorified, God, as, as you willing this earth fills up more with godly, masculine fathers. So use this teaching for your glory. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. As a review, last week, here's what we looked at. Three foundational principles. Those three principles were that the Bible is sufficient for understanding fatherhood. Uh, that the goal of fatherhood is the regeneration of our children. And the third foundational principle, that the responsibility is all ours as fathers, uh, all the responsibility, the buck stops with, with us. Their second point last week, there is a difference between active fathering and passive parenting. So we looked at that difference and we looked at the example that God the Father gave with his son Jesus in Matthew chapter 3, verses 16 and 17, when God the Father interacted with his son upon his baptism. Next, we said that fatherhood is based on the imitation of God the Father, looking at Ephesians 5.1. So fatherhood is based on the imitation of God the Father. So we are good fathers when we are imitating God the Father. We are bad fathers when we are not imitating God the Father. Next, we said fathers are for provision and protection. Not all the fathers are for, but Mainly, foundationally, fathers are for provision and protection. We also looked at masculinity and what it really is, specifically looking at words like authority, responsibility, and sacrifice, which are words that should come to mind when we think of masculinity. And then last, we looked at how to lead our wives in child-rearing. In three specific ways. Taking the initiative was number one. 
honoring our wife's weaknesses was number two. And utilizing our wife's strengths was number three. So tonight, similar to last week, we'll continue to turn to foundational texts and pull this out of, out of God's Word. Because, back to that very first point, that very first foundational principle that we looked at last week, the Bible is sufficient, right? The Reformers were right when they coined the Latin phrase sola scriptura. It's all we need. The Bible is all that we need. All that we need for life and godliness. Second Timothy three sixteen and 17. All Scripture is God-breathed, useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so, uh, so that we can, we can live a godly life and please Him. So fatherhood is included in there. So we are looking at uh, Scripture. Let's get started with tonight's topics. First, being precedes doing. Being precedes doing. To compare our study last week and tonight, last week was much more uh, who fathers are, and tonight is, is more what fathers do. Not just those things, but last week was primarily who fathers are, and so this week, with that as our foundation, what fathers do. Tonight we're talking about fatherhood. A way to think of this is going from our, our hearts and our minds to our mouths and our hands and our feet. So an understanding of what fatherhood is, hopefully our, our heart is, is being enlarged toward fatherhood. But now it's going from our minds and our hearts to what does that mean practically? So what comes out of my mouth, my hands, my feet? What, what do I do? And when we talk about which all of these are sort of the practicalities of fatherhood. This is why last week was important. And if you haven't listened to it, I would encourage you to listen to it. Because otherwise, when we go through the practicalities of, of fatherhood, it can just become sort of obligatory duty. And we'll misunderstand the heart of what it is that we're talking about. So th- as we go through this, this is not to be a obligatory duty. When that happens, right, so you go home and you do things differently, maybe, uh, but it's because your arm is twisted and there's not really any delight in it. It's just, okay, this is what I need to do, and so I'm going to, I'm going to do it. So fatherhood can be particularly joyless and burdensome. If we don't pay attention to that, if we don't remember that being always precedes doing. So who you are precedes what you do. This is the Christian life, not just fatherhood. The Christian life pleasing God is understanding truth, understanding who you are, understanding your identity in Christ, understanding truth, understanding doctrine. And then that is the platform from which we... We do things. You see how that gets all backwards. If you start doing things and start checking things off the list, but you, you, you're not doing that from an understanding of why you're doing it or who you are in Christ, then the, the, motives, the motives are completely wrong. And so if we do that, then fatherhood, it does. It becomes burdensome. It just becomes like a, like a pile of bricks that's on top of us. That's what all this will become tonight. It just becomes a pile of bricks if we don't understand first that who you are precedes what you do. If you just look at how the the New Testament is written, specifically how Paul writes, you'll see this. 
for example, the book of Ephesians, you've got six chapters and basically what you have is is three chapters of understanding who you are in Christ and then three chapters of now, what do I do? Romans, the first, all the way up until chapter six is all this is truth and this is doctrine. And therefore, it doesn't come until chapter six. And then it begins giving instruction for our life. This is why we structure it that way. And it's imperative to understand who we are before we move on to to what we do as well. Uh, understanding who we are as fathers, who we are in Christ is is really important Really important for fathers. It keeps us from despair. It's really good for fathers who are doing a lousy job right now and and feel it and hear it. Or for fathers who have done a lousy job. Or for fathers who are afraid they're going to do a lousy job because they had a lousy dad. And all of those uh Problems, whether they're our own or presently or past or anticipated problems, uh, can can become totally crippling, and then it causes us to not do what we're what we are called to do. So, so remember the who you are before we move on to what we do, right? Remember the the, the grace of God meets you where you are, not where you should have been. Then really think about that because that is true. So it's not like God holds his grace out because you should have been here and you should be farther along and you should be better than you are. And if you were, my grace would meet you there. No, God's grace meets you where you are, not where you should have been. So as a this being proceeds doing is sort of a, a preemptive strike before any more discouragement or despair, before we get into this and it starts to feel like a, a, a pile of, of bricks. So I want to say to you, men who are believing men, I want to say to you that you are forgiven men. And if you are in Christ, you are forgiven men. Uh, You are not fatherless men. You are not fatherless men. Remember, in in the kingdom of God, there is no such thing as fatherlessness. It does not exist. Earthly, earthly fatherlessness, but not not in God's kingdom. It is not too late. I'd want you to hear that. It is not too late. Even if your kids are grown, you are not trapped by your past or your predecessors. The cycle can be broken. You are not under a pile of bricks. If you're feeling that, you're feeling it wrong. You have a good father who has liberated you to imitate him. That's important because some of us, when we hear this and when we hear this teaching or other teaching in areas where we feel like failures or we, we feel like we can't do it. When you hear this, you'll, you'll, you feel like if you've read Pilgrim's Progress, you feel like Christian felt before the burden was taken off of his back. And it's, it just feels unbearable and it feels impossible. But if you are in Christ, you should not feel that kind of burden. You should not feel that kind of spiritual back pain because that burden, sin, which is what Christian's burden was, is gone. It's gone. 
the burden of sin is gone and the burden that's been put on us is Christ, right? The yoke that's been put on us is Christ. We're no longer under the curse of the law where we have to be performance driven and we've got to perform our way to heaven. The new yoke is Christ and we're in Christ. And we do good things. We're good fathers. We're, we're good Christians. We obey, however you want to put it, because we love God, not and because God loves us, not to try to get God to love us. So the only pain, if you're having that spiritual back pain that comes from this, like there's nothing you can do about it, it's debilitating. Okay, you're not remembering that who you are in Christ. The only pain, okay, that we should feel is like a good arm pain spiritual arm pain as we're lifting these things and and trying to do them well and understanding that there are other arms there that are sharing that load namely most importantly christ christ that his arms are sharing that load as well as the way we as christian men can can bear one another's burdens so it is not only bearable it becomes our delight to lift this burden that god has given us Okay, one quote before I move on to the standards. This is uh, from Doug Wilson in his book, Father Hunger. A godly fatherhood on a day-to-day basis must absolutely be based on the free grace of God that is offered to us in Christ Jesus. We are justified in Him, which means that when God looks at you, considering whether to deal with you at all, what He sees is the absolute perfection of Jesus Christ. In the free justification that God offers because of the cross, what kind of father are you? You are a perfect father because Christ was and is perfect and His perfection has been imputed to you. This sets you free from the curse of condemnation. Romans 8.1 And it means that you can set about the work of being a father to your children without fear or guilt. The things you will apply as you and your wife give yourselves to the work of being Christian parents belongs entirely to the realm of sanctification as opposed to justification. In being a father, you are not trying to earn anything from God for all has already been given. You are rather trying to give something to your children in free imitation of the free gift that has been given to you. Never forget the gospel in this. You are not a bramble bush trying to grow an apple so that you might be turned into an apple tree as a reward. You are not a coyote going bah, bah, in order to turn into a sheep. If these quotes or points are helpful... Uh, let me know and I can, well, I'll just do that. I'll just post the, the notes for you again in the, on this event in the city. So let's move on to setting and keeping standards. Please turn to Deuteronomy chapter 5. Deuteronomy chapter 5. And in a bit we'll read verses 1 through 21. Deuteronomy 5, 1 through 21. Okay, setting and keeping standards. In other words, what what will be the standards in our home? What should they be? How will you and I determine them? Okay, how are we going to live in our homes? What are we going to call our children to? What will you expect from your children? What will you not expect for your from your children? What kinds of rules will they need to follow? 
What will they get in trouble for? What will they not get in trouble for? What is the law for your home? That is what we mean when we're talking about setting and keeping standards. And our kids must understand what the law is. They must understand what the standard is. They must understand what it is that is expected of them. So four points under this. Number one, I kind of already said that, the standards should be clear. The standards should be clear. So the standards should be communicated concisely and frequently. Children in a home should, should be clear on what is expected of them. It, it promotes a lot of insecurity, right? Have you ever, you ever had a job where you had a really lousy job description? Okay, that can breed insecurity in your job. What am I supposed to be doing? Is this going well? Is it not going well? Our children, they need to know what the standards are. Number two, the standards should be kept consistently. They should be kept. They should be guarded. They should be enforced, if you want to use that word. But be careful with that word. The standards should be enforced. In other words, there are consistent consequences when the standard is disregarded or disobeyed. We're not going to get into discipline a ton, but a few points. Um, Let's talk uh, consistency, right, in keeping this. So this is the standard, and then it needs to be enforced. It needs to be guarded. It needs to be kept through consistent consequences when the standard is, if it's disregarded or, or disobeyed. The occasion of discipline and the degree of discipline should be consistent. The occasion of discipline and the degree of discipline should be consistent. Otherwise, the standard is not clear. So if the occasion and the degree of discipline fluctuates, then a child does not know what the standard is. So the occasion of discipline needs to be consistent. In other words, you don't you don't discipline for this one day, but then you don't discipline it for, you know, for it the next day. The occasion of discipline that your child needs to know that this is a standard. And when I break that standard, OK, that will be an occasion of discipline. And that needs to be consistent. If it's not, then the child doesn't really know. Is this right? Is it wrong? Sometimes I get in trouble for it. Sometimes I don't. And as well, the degree of the discipline needs to be consistent. In other words, okay, if the standard is broken, there is a consequence. Okay, Discipline comes. But the degree to which a child is should not fluctuate a ton. It should not be, okay, well, I, got, I, I did this today, and I did it tomorrow, and, and dad's being consistent. I was disciplined both times, but the degree of discipline was totally different. Yesterday, like smoke was coming out of dad's ears. His face was beet red. His voice was raised. And today he's just chill. But there's still a consequence. So the degree needs to be consistent. And the occasion needs to be consistent. Otherwise, a child basically learns that the standard is don't piss dad off. Or don't don't uh, disobey the standard when dad's in a bad mood. 
You see how that works? So if it's inconsistent when you discipline and the degree is inconsistent, okay, then what the child really learns, what your children learn is, is that the standard is not these, what, what, what dad says they are. It's, you know, don't break those standards when I'm in a bad mood. When I'm in a good mood, I'll probably overlook it, you know, no big deal or it'll be pretty easy going for you. But if I'm grumpy, all hell's going to break loose. And so the child learns then that the standard is just to kind of walk on eggshells around dad and try to gauge what his not good, not good. Discipline should be judicious and controlled, restorative and not punitive. We'll mention this again at the end. It should be judicious, just, right? Not influenced by emotion. It should be controlled. If a father is, uh, so for example, if, if when you discipline your children, if you spank your your children. We can t- I can talk more to you about that in private. If you just are struggling with that and you you need some resources or just an idea of how to do this, um, if you if you spank your children when they when they break the standard, if if it is not judicious and if you are not under control when you are disciplining your children, then you are not disciplining your children. You're abusing your children. You, this is. There's just no way around it. If you're not in control and you're not doing it for them, but you're doing it to, to vent something and, and, and not doing it for the child, but for you, that's, just, that's abuse. That's what abuse is. So it must be controlled. It must be judicious. The purpose is restorative, not punitive. Punitive is, there's a difference between discipline and punishment. Fathers do, should not punish their children. Any more than God the Father does not punish us as his children. He does not punish us. Punishment has been removed for us. He disciplines us. In other words, it's for our good. He introduces pain into our life for our good. And so a father never punishes his child. A father disciplines his child. Hebrews 12, 11. It's painful at the time, but in the end, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. There's good motives, good intentions. A child disobeys his mom and dad. He disobeys God. Fellowship is now broken. And discipline is engaged in to correct the child and to restore that relationship, to bring them back together. There's a consequence, there's repentance, there's forgiveness, and you move on. And you forgive and you you forget. So it needs to be restorative, not punitive. If you, here's a, a saying that I think is helpful. If you want to discipline your child, you probably shouldn't. If you don't want to discipline your child, you probably should. So if you're heading in to discipline your child and you want to do it, you probably should. You probably have no business doing it. Because you're going to vent. You're going to, you're going to get something off your chest. You're going to you get some kind of a, a relief. You're going, to, you're, going to, you know, you're going to feel like you're in control again. If you're, if you're resistant to it, like, gosh, I don't, I don't want to bring pain into my child's life right now. But there's sin. Then you're probably qualified to discipline them. Just keep it in mind. Number three, um, answering the question, where do these standards come from? The standards should be biblically derived. This is where Deuteronomy chapter 5, verses 1 through 21 comes in. The standards should be biblically derived. So what do we hold our kids to? How then shall we live in our home? Let me read it. Read with me if you're there. Deuteronomy 5, 1 through 21. And Moses summoned all Israel and said to them, 
Hear, O Israel, the statutes and the rules that I speak in your hearing today, and you shall learn them and be careful to do them. The Lord our God made a covenant with us in Horeb. Not with our fathers did the Lord make this covenant, but with us who are all of us here alive today. The Lord spoke with you face to face at the mountain, out of the midst of the fire, while I stood between the Lord and you at that time to declare to you the word of the Lord. For you were afraid because of the fire, and you did not go up into the mountain. He said, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Here come the standards. You've heard these. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is on the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. For I, the Lord, your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord, your God, in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Observe the Sabbath day to keep it holy as the Lord, your God, commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord, your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant or your ox or your donkey or any of your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates, that your male servant and your female servant may rest as well as you. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. Honor your father and your mother as the Lord your God commanded you that your days may be long and that it may go well with you in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery and you shall not steal and you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor and you shall not covet your neighbor's wife and you shall not desire your neighbor's household, his field or his male servant or his female servant, his ox or his donkey or anything else that is your neighbor's. So God's standards, right? We're deriving our standards from God's standards. They're summarized here in Deuteronomy 5. Also summarized in Exodus chapter 20. And this is further summarized So you've got the law in the Old Testament summarized in Ten Commandments in the Old Testament and further summarized in Matthew 22 in one sentence, two sentences. Love God, love your neighbor. This is God's standard. You get all in one sheet, Ten Commandments. Okay, you break it down even further. Okay, all of these laws, God's standard, it comes from love the Lord your God, all your heart, all your mind, all your soul, all your strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. So here then in the Ten Commandments is where you should derive your standards. So our standards, what we hold our children to, okay, it should be coming from the Ten Commandments. It should be coming from God's word. So think about your rules in your home, in your life, for your children. Think about your rules. Think about your standards and ask yourself, where do they come from? Where do the standards that you hold your children come from and do your do your children know where they come from or they think you're just making it up do they know where they come from i do not disobey your parents god's word do not disrespect your your mother okay ten commandments rooted in god's word do not lie rooted in god's word so do you do things 
Right? Do you have standards, evaluate your standards simply because of tradition? Do you have standards just because it just happens to be what works for you in your home? Do you have standards that you do things just, well, I don't know why I do this. I just, this is how my dad did it. The goal is to have your, your standards biblically, biblically derived. Number four, the standards should, last point under standards, it will take some time here, though. The standards should not be burdensome to your children. We mentioned this a bit last week. Right, the goal for our children is not merely that they would conform to the standard, but love the standards. Not that they would just obey the standard, but love the standard. Just like you, right? You obey you, God as a standard for your life, right, Christian? And, and, and you don't do it. It's not just this ob- obligational, obligatory duty. Okay, you do these things because you love God. You love his standard. You love his word, right? Your law is a delight to me, David said. And God's law should be a delight to us. We love to meditate on his law. We love to follow his law. It is good for us. And that is our goal for our children. We want them to love these rules that we have. We want them to love the standards that we have. So a bunch of points here. One, two, three, five. The first one. And all of these are the standards will be burdensome if. Because the goal is that the standards would not be burdensome. The standards will be burdensome if you don't make a distinction between house rules and God's rules. So make a, make a distinction between house rules and God's rules. In other words, you're, you're going to have, right, we're deriving all of our standards from Scripture, okay? But now you've got rules, right, just to operate. You know, you've got rules at work. You've got rules in our church. We've got, you've got rules in your homes, okay? And you're going to have house rules. You're going to have rules that aren't explicit in Scripture, okay? You don't have a verse for do not jump up and down on the couch, all right? So that's what I mean by a, by a house rule. Okay, we have a few house rules. Okay, I'm neat. I don't like dirt. And so I've got some house rules about how you come into the house, how you don't come into the house. Closing doors, right? Some of you know there's flies coming out. drives me crazy. So doors always close. You often hear me just hollering through the house, close the doors. So we've got lots of, we have lots of house rules that work, work well for us. But make sure... Okay, when you've got standards, you've got God's rules and you've got you've got like, you know, don't lie, don't disrespect your mother. Okay, don't disobey your parents, don't jump up and down the couch. You need to make sure that your kids understand the distinction between God's rules and your house rules. And you do that through instruction, you know, by telling them the difference and through how you react when the standard is not kept. So some dads will go through the roof when like their house rules are broken, but God's rules are broken and it's just sort of swept under the carpet. That is going to teach your kids really bad things. Really bad things. Don't, the, the challenge is we don't want to turn our kids into Pharisees. That's the danger there. With man's rules for God's rules. Or man's rules alongside God's rules. So our kids need to understand the difference. So they need a sharp distinction between these are house rules, these are dad's rules, and these are God's rules that dad enforces. Okay, you understand they have they have a father that's you, and they have a heavenly father that's God, and and that you work for God the Father. A distinction needs to be be really clear. That's why it's a problem. Like we looked at last week, when we're, when we start asserting our authority and saying, 
you know, a child asks me, you know, they start pushing back when you give them an instruction and things come out of your mouth like, you know, why do I need to do this? And things come out of your mouth like, because I'm your father. So when we do that, we're blurring the line for our children of who the real authority is. The, the better answer is because Ephesians 6, 1 and 2, because God, who is the ultimate authority, has instructed you to obey your father. And my authority is derived from God. I mean, you don't have to give a speech every time, but but it needs to be clear to them. That there's a difference between my my father, my earthly father and my heavenly father and, and my dad works for him and, and making sure that, that we make a distinction between our our house rules and God's rules. So, for example, I heard this as an example. If you if you are a teetotaler, for example, I think I only know one in my life that just does doesn't drink, doesn't drink alcohol and never, never touches alcohol. But if you are, let's say, a teetotaler, that's that's a fine house rule, but that's not God's rule. Right. But it's a fine house rule. But the danger would be, right, if you have children in a teetotaler's house, it would be wise for that father to instruct his child that drinking alcohol is not a sin. Otherwise, the child grows up and he's got house rule right next to God's rule. He's looking down on everybody who doesn't drink because he just missed that. He missed that instruction. So simple. This is an example. Second, the standards will become burdensome if you have too many rules. Stop this. Don't do that. Put that down. Go here. Come over here. Stop. Stand still. Don't say that. Say this. Right, when I get frustrated, I start to want to control the situation. I start rattling off instructions. The standard becomes burdensome. And by the way, impossible at that point. The standards will become burdensome if you have too many rules. Do not give too many instructions or unnecessary instructions. So it's time to go, and my three-year-old is on the other side of the room. We're leaving now. Come here. That's really an unnecessary instruction, isn't it? Especially if it's you know late at night. I'm sort of tempting him, aren't I? Maybe even being lazy. What's another alternative? Go Just go grab him. Just go grab him. I love it. You don't, you don't want to give you know, commands for the sake of giving commands. You don't want to just throw instructions. And, and if we're throw, the, the deal is if we're throwing tons of rules out there and tons of commands and tons of instructions, we're also just opening the door to have a lot of battles. But you would have to win every one as dad, by the way. You would, because then the, the child learns they can run all over you. So, so, so you want to be careful and pick your battles. And so if we're throwing all kinds of rules out there, um, I heard this illustration. Our pattern is God, not the federal law. Right, we have lots of laws in this country. We, have, we are probably all right now breaking several laws, and we don't even know it. But they're written somewhere. And the way home will probably break a dozen more. That is not our model. Our model is God's law. And, 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 and what did we, we read? God's law is summed up in ten commandments. And then Jesus sums it up in two sentences. Okay, this is where our rules should come from. Our, our standards should come from. Third, the standards will become burdensome if you do not pay attention to the frame of your children. 
so we have standards and we don't we don't change the standards you know because god's standards apply to every age right there's not different standards for adults and kids but we do want to you know 10 commandments are the 10 commandments there's not a kids version of them but we do want to pay attention to the physical and mental maturity of our of our kids just in, in, in the long range or maybe just on the in, in the in the short range pay attention to the framework who are they what are they capable of what are they able uh, able to do I want to have them give them standards that they can't uh, meet right now that they can't reach right now we'll talk more about that later um, fourth the standards will become burdensome if your children don't see you following the standard. So they have to see they have to see me uh, obeying again. There's not standards for kids and standard for mom and dad. Well, you're a you're a kid, and so this is the standard for you. You have to live this way. Well, that's going to become real burdensome if they see that dad could give a rip and, and does, just does just throws it out the window. And so they need to see us. Right? As fathers, we have to be uh, obeying the standard. If we want them to love the standard, they need to see us loving the standard. They need to see us repenting when we break the standard, when we break God's law. They need to hear us repenting to them. And they need to understand. I have this conversation with my boys a lot. And that is that, you know, at first, at first is telling them that, son, you know, I'm disciplining you right now. But do you understand that the daddy gets disciplined when he sins? The first time I told them that they got to a good laugh out of that. They thought, you know, my wife was spanking me in the other room or something like that. I said, no. And I explained to them, though. I said, listen, a little a little sharp pain on your rear end. You know, I mean, their world, it, you know, it comes crashing down. But don't we know, fathers, who wouldn't trade a little pain on their rear end to the discipline that God brings? providentially later in life the handing over to sin the 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 painful providences that he brings our way the the trials that that grieve us i mean see who you want your kids see there's there's no there's no difference here okay we're both under god's law we're both under god's standard god expects things from both of us and both of us when we don't do this it does not it does not go well for us and so for you now when you're a child though god chooses to discipline you through through me Okay, so I'm his I'm his instrument to discipline you. But when you're older and you're out of daddy's house, okay, you're still going to be disciplined. So I, I want you to learn now to obey and love the standard because it's only going to get more painful, more painful as you grow up. And then finally, the standards will become burdensome if you I already said this, I guess if your children don't see you loving the standard. So help your children to see that the standards are good, right? To see the yes behind every no. But you don't want to. You don't want to be a dad that says no all the time. You don't want to be the dad that says no all the time. You, your your heart's desire is you. You always want to say yes to your children. It should be that is God he wants to grant the desires of our hearts. Who withholds no good thing from us. So he withholds. He withholds things we want. <laughs> but he doesn't withhold any good thing from us. So if he withholds something we want, it's because it's always because because he's got something better for us. Always, always. God is not uh, stingy. He's not stingy. So we don't want to be stingy. So even if we say yes, 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 that's led to some interesting 
happenings at our house the last couple of months because Chris and I have just really evaluated when we say yes and when we say no. And, and we, we see that we can say no sometimes just out of habit. And my kids have asked to do ridiculous things over the last couple of months, and I've started to say, and I thought about it, and yes, sure, let's let's jump in the pool, 9:30 at night. Let's do it. I don't want to do it. Let's do it. Let's go ahead and give it a try. I want to be, I want to be yes. So, teaching doctrine to your children. Turn to Deuteronomy just. Priority there. Deuteronomy 6, verse 4. In a minute, we'll read Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9, and verses verse 20 and 21. Okay, teaching doctrine to your children. We're not just teaching the standards. Okay? That is no fun. That is no fun. We're not just teaching the rules. We're not just teaching the standards. We're not just teaching what is right and wrong. Okay, teaching doctrine to our children. In other words, we are out to teach truth to our children. I think this is the greatest blessing, and I think this is the most fun thing we get to do as a father, is to teach truth about God to our kids. Not just the rules, but to teach them all the wonderful things there, there, there is about God. So um, for an illustration, when we go, uh, when we get to the lake to go camping with my boys, okay, there are some rules that we need to lay down so that everyone is safe, right? And that usually happens first thing out of the car. You get up to the lake. You're going to be there for a week. You lay down some rules. This is acceptable. This is not acceptable. This is okay. This is not okay. We've got to get those rules out. We've got to set the standards to keep everyone safe. But the rest of the week, we're exploring the beautiful lake. This is teaching doctrine to your children. Okay, setting the standards. That's got to be there. You keep them safe. They need to know what the standards are. It needs to be laid out. But that is, when we go camping, that is not what we're wasting all our time doing. We're not just sitting up there, oh, oh, just come, come gather around again. Let us go through the standards and post them up on the tree. And that's not, that's not what we're, no, don't run, no, no fun yet. Let's, the standard, love it, son, love these standards. They are wonderful and good. They're not going to love them. So the rest of the week, what is it? We're just exploring the leg, exploring the wilderness with my boys. That's teaching doctrine to your children. Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. And here we go. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Verse 20 and 21. When your son asks you in time to come, what is the meaning of the testimonies and the statutes and the rules, right? The standards that the Lord, our God, has commanded you. Then you shall say to your son, "Okay, he's going to explore the lake now. We were Pharaoh's slaves in Egypt 
and the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. Now, that is not your testimony. I mean, you weren't in. Well, it is. Well, you weren't in Egypt and God delivered you physically out of Egypt. But this is now. It sounds like, okay. Why all these standards? Why all these rules? Why are we following God like this? Why do we have to do whatever he tells us to? And we start teaching our children about the wonderful God we serve. Our, our Savior, our greatest treasure. Look what he's done for us. Look, look how he has loved us. And so this is why. This is the meaning behind these standards that we have. We are out to please the God who, is, who has loved us in this way, who has cared for us in this way. So this is... Uh, a couple points, teaching doctrine to our children. This is our job as fathers. So teaching doctrine to our children, that is our job as fathers. It is not our wife's job, primarily. We, we, will, uh, we will maybe em- employ our wives or charge, charge our wives to do this, but this is not, again, the responsibility thing, right? This is not their primary responsibility. This is our responsibility to teach doctrine to our children it's not a teacher's job you know we don't want to put our kids in a christian school thinking that it's the christian school's job it's not the uh, the sunday school teacher's job it's not a book's job here read a book it's our job our privilege well, job's not even a good word it's our privilege this responsibility belongs to us it's our responsibility not to abdicate or outsource teaching doctrine to our children. This is one of the reasons that that we don't offer much for kids here at Veritas, right? That's one of the reasons that we don't, because we do not want ministry to children that enables fathers to outsource their responsibility and lean on the the church to, to do it. So, I mean, by the time here, by the time, you know, your kid is eight years old, we're just like... There's no, you know, you can't, there's no babysitting. There's no, there's no Sunday school. There's no craft time for him. I mean, you just gotta, you gotta bring him in here and, 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 and start instructing him and, or her and, and teaching them and having discussions on the way to church and on the way home from church. I mean, either that's going to happen, right? Or it's just going to get, it's just going to get left behind. So it's our job and we cannot abdicate it or, or outsource it. And so, Right, of course, this means that if we are to be imparters of truth, that we need to be what? We need to be learners of the truth. That could be intimidating. I mean, we have to teach doctrine to our children. And please, please, we mean more here than God is love. And we mean more than Jesus died for you. Because every Christian kid knows Jesus died for me. But if you ask them what the what that means, you'll get a hundred different answers. You know, if you just go to the kid after Sunday school whose dad is not teaching him. We're talking doctrine here. We want to impart truth to our children. And so if we're going to impart truth to our children, right, as fathers, it means that we need to be learners of the truth. If we're going to pass on right doctrine, we have to have right doctrine. We want to be a well that our kids can draw from. I mean, for the rest of their lives. We want to be a well that our kids can draw from. from. Um, now, I understand that, that that probably sounds in, intimidating 
to some of you who don't feel like you have deep and solid doctrine. I'm sure that sounds very intimidating. Okay, so I'm not saying that you have to, you know, go over here and buy Grudem's systematic theology, you know, all 1,500 pages or whatever, and you need to nail it before you can open your mouth to your kids. So, you know, get started, Franklin, because you've got a few months, buddy. That's not, that's not what we're saying. So, so that, you know, by God's grace, okay, there are great resources out there to, to help you. I mean, before I even say the resources, though, I mean, we, we, we can't depend. These resources aren't crutches. I mean, it does mean that as fathers, we, we have to be in God's word. We, we have to be reading God's word. We have to be in contact with God's word if we're going to put our kids in contact with God's word. And if we're not, our kids are going to see right through it. And they're going to know we're out to lunch. And they're going to know that we're not a well that they can draw from. And as soon as they figure that out, they're going to start going to other places. They're going to go to mom. They're going to go to their teachers. You don't want them asking the questions there. You, you, you want them. You want them when they come to a part in the Bible. They don't, you want them to be like, well, I want to know what my dad says about this. So that you can teach them right doctrine in a sea of wrong doctrine. So you've got to read your Bible. You've got to know what your Bible says. You've got to be in worship on Sundays. You've got to be attending classes when you can. You've got to be reading commentaries. You've got to be getting Bible study tools. You've got to go beyond just a surface understanding if if you're going to teach doctrine to your kids. Otherwise, it will not happen. That said, there are great resources out there to help you. Resources where if you're just starting off in this, I mean, resources where you can pretty much read them, just you, yourself, before you read them to your kids. And some of these things you can learn with your kids. You know, you can learn it a few minutes before them. But you can still, you can still, you can still learn it. Resources like uh, um, the, the two I think are the best right now for that specifically would be Leading Little Ones to God and Big Truths for Young Hearts. I think we sell them both. Leading Little Ones to God is like Grudem's Systematic Theology for Kids. Way simplified. It just gives you scripture to read to your kids, a, a summary of what you're reading to your kids. It gives you a prayer to pray, should you choose to do that. It, it gives you a song to sing, should you choose to do that. And it, just, just, it just breaks it down. Spend 10 minutes reading it in the morning, and then at night you read it with your kids, something like that. Big Truths for Young Hearts, uh, written by Bruce Ware. Also, also a great one. Take it a chapter at a time. It's working through systematically who God is and some really big truths, but it adapts it for, for young for young hearts. Um, last few things under teaching doctrine to your children. Practically, let's look at the what, the how, and the when of teaching doctrine to your children. First, the what. What What are we talking about when we say teach doctrine to your children? Okay, imparting biblical truth. As fathers, we want to impart biblical truth. And we want to start basic I want to start basic just start teaching basic truths start with things like bible uh, memorization start with things like uh, the, the the leading little ones to god book that i described catechizing your children is a great thing to do i meant to bring one but i've got there's there's the westminster shorter catechisms like a hundred and some short questions and short answers and just, our kid, my kids love it 
just we just work through them at different times around the dinner table wherever and then just these questions you know what is the chief end of man glorify god and enjoy him forever how many gods are there one god and how many persons does this god exist three god you know and all that and, and, and your kids are memorizing these truths and then you then you have something to work with and then you can talk about it so we're passing on basic truth the point is in regards to the what is, is we want to bring our children in contact with the word often how how do we do this and i would say formally and informally formally and informally i think it's good to have formal times where okay we're going to sit down and and dad's going to teach you we're going to work through some truth we're going to read this together and informal times you get that in deuteronomy 6 the as you go wherever you are all the time i mean when is god saying talk about his truth constantly constantly not just at family worship constantly um uh, more about the how simplify god's word but don't sanitize god's word simplify god's word that's okay don't 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 water it down that's different from watering it down but say it and and you know you don't need to get all king james on your children and but but simplify the, the truths but don't sanitize it We should teach our kids the whole counsel of God. Don't sanitize the story of Samson or of uh, David or of the flood. You know, let let your three-year-old ask you what a prostitute is. What was Samson doing there? Well, actually, anyway. (laughs) Don't sanitize God's word. Or the flood, the flood. Don't tell the story of the flood where the point of the story is the giraffe's head out the window. You know, but the flood, I mean, these are millions of people drowning and perishing under the righteous judgment and wrath of God. Uh, David, what's David doing on the roof, Dad? He's up to no good in his neighborhood. And teach your kids. Teach your kids. Don't sanitize, sanitize God's words. Don't expect too little from them. Kids can grasp big big truth kids can grasp it um dialogue with them this is all the how uh don't be afraid to say i don't know i know for some of us dads this is really hard to say and so we'll just make stuff up but sometimes we just need to say i don't know our kids ask us a question and we're just like well he's not gonna know the difference i'll just you know off the cuff just say i don't know that's okay i don't know find find the answer and and again in the how don't just teach them for ethical instruction teach them to love the book so our kids are not going to love god's word is the only time they hear god's word is when we're quoting ephesians 6 1 and 2 like i got i got that one dad thanks yeah children what is so they think the bible is children obey your parents that's the whole point of scripture when the whole point is jesus so we want them to know that we want them to love that we want them to to uh, to love him and then finally the when well all the time all the time and and if you have a wife charge her with this as well uh put verses up over the house uh, we got chalkboards with verses uh talk in the car talk around the table talk at bedtime talk first thing in the morning uh adjust your schedule if if you need to Adjust your schedule. You know, when are your kids open? When are your kids receptive? If, if you can, if you can, flex your schedule. Maybe you, you can um, change your work schedule or change your sleep schedule or, 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 or change your, uh, your exercise schedule or whatever it is so that, so that you're there for the right times so that you can teach doctrine to your kids. And as well, I encourage you to read to your kids. Read to them. 
Um, books like Pilgrim's Progress, Trial and Triumph, Biographies, The Chronicles of Narnia. Listen, have have fun with this. Just have fun with this. We're going to get into more mechanics in a bit. You're, you're all. If you if you haven't done this, you're going to feel like a goon at first. It's going to be awkward and uncomfortable. You are you you're going to feel like a just a dork doing this. You feel like you should put like the clerical collar on and it's just going to feel awkward and uncomfortable and okay, line up and look at me. It's going to be uncomfortable. Just just push through it. Just push through it and have fun with this. What a blessing. What a blessing. And so, so learn something from God's word and then tell your kids what you're learning from God's word so that they can learn it too. As well, I'd encourage you in, in the fall, we're going to have a family worship class. Three weeks, just a family worship class. So Hopefully you can make it there. Okay, next one. Turn to 2 Corinthians 13, 5. But we won't be there for a bit. 2 Corinthians 13, 5. Uh, evangelizing your children. Evangelizing your children. 6, 7, 30. Okay, evangelizing your children is important. Why? Remember those foundations? Those basic principles, the, the three of them. What is the goal of fatherhood? The goal of fatherhood is not happy, hardworking, church-going, well-behaved, contributing citizens who are not in jail. The bar is should be set a little higher than that. That is not our goal. Your goal should be the regeneration of your children. The goal is that 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 they will they will not only be our sons and daughters, but our brothers and sisters. I mean, that is the goal. That is the goal. Not just my son or my daughter, but my brother and my sister. So here's why this point, it's good to belabor this, because if you're tracking with me up to this point and, and, and we bail here before this. So if we're doing all this and we're setting the standards and we're, we're teaching and we're instructing, if we bail here and we don't evangelize, then the risk is that we produce little cup washers. Right? We just produce little cup washers, little whitewashed tombs who obey the standard, but who don't love it. So evangelizing your children. Well, how does someone become a Christian? <laughs> how does one become a Christian? How does one become saved? Well, we know God's part, right? We're good reformed theologians here, right? Sometimes this is all we talk about. We get it. We got it. God is sovereign. We know. We know God's part. God's foundational part. Jonah 2 9. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And so God must, you know, how does one become a Christian? We know that God must do a work in turning our, in turning the hearts of our children to Him. That's regeneration. And so we pray for this. But we do more than pray, don't we? We do more than pray. Now, some parents don't. Some parents don't even pray. They're not praying for the salvation of their kids. They're not working for the salvation of their kids. It's like they get they get just enough good theology to be dangerous. God is, a lot of Christians get hung up on this. God is sovereign. Christians get hung up on on God's sovereignty and God's predestination, the elect, the non-elect, and it causes a lot of people just to to bail on these theologies because of the problems it seems to come with, and others just turn into super lazy Christians. 
God is sovereign? Wait, God's in control? God's already got this all figured out? Sweet. (laughs) Done. And we punch our time card. And a lot of, I've seen that with a lot of parents and I don't, I think I've seen that more in reformed circles than in non-reformed circles. And I wonder if a lot of it is, is getting, getting hung up here. Well, it goes like this, right? Well, if my children are elect, then it doesn't matter what I do. They will be saved. This is how the saying goes. I don't know if they're elect or not elect, but if they're elect, it doesn't matter what I do. They will be saved. And if my children are not elect, then it doesn't matter what I do because it won't make any difference. So that's, that's the, 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 the thinking and the conclusions that are often drawn. But that is, that is not biblical. That's not biblical. All right, in our Bible, human or, or, or God's sovereignty never negates human responsibility. Both true. God's sovereignty never negates human responsibility. So here, here's, how it, here's how it works. Whether or not your children are elect is not any of your business. Whether or not our children are elect is not any of our business. Do you know this verse? Deuteronomy 29, 29. The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things that are revealed belong to us and to our children forever that we may do all the words of this law. So we want to climb up and peek into heaven, figure out whether my kids elect or not elect. I mean, if they're not elect, I don't want to waste my time here. If they're elect, okay, whew, I can take my you know, foot off the gas a bit. Now, no worries, you're elect, and I know before the foundations of the world. You see how dangerous this can become? And we need to be careful. The secret things belong to God. It is true. It is true. You have no control over what your children do with Christ or what Christ does with your children. No control. You have no control over that. But that does not mean that we do not have responsibility, which is why we get to evangelizing our children. Now, here's another point that I hope will be helpful on the heels of, of all that. God, God predestines the end and the means. Have you guys heard this before? Okay, God predestines the ends and the means. He ordains, he predestines the result, what's going to happen, and the things that happen to get there and, and the way that that result comes about. He predestines all of it. That's what it means that God is sovereign. So he predestines the, 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 the ends as well as the means. So, for example, God did not predestine a tree to grow without predestining the rain to fall and the sun to shine. This is just how God works. There's ends and there's means, and he predestines all of it. God does not predestine a dent in your car without another car hitting it. Right? He predestined a dent in your car, but he didn't just snap his finger and you know just watch just a dent form. He also, a car had to hit it, and, and he predestined the car hitting it. God did not predestine your marriage to your wife without predestining your your meeting one another and your dating, your courting relationship. So God uses means to accomplish his purposes. Okay, ordains the ends, ordains the means. 
And God uses the means to accomplish his purposes. And here's why that's crucial. What are the means God uses to save his elect children? And the answer is obedient parents. What are the means that God uses to save his elect children? And the answer is obedient parents, parents who bring their children up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. He's after godly offspring, right? Parents who understand that if anyone's going to be saved in their home, they must hear the gospel. So they obediently preach the gospel to their children. So fathers All that to support fathers, preach the gospel to your children. Preach the gospel to your children. Proverbs 22, 6 says, train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. I mean, just break that down. Do you not want your child to grow up and depart from? Do you want your child to love Jesus? Then train him up in the way he should go. This is super simple. Don't. A couple more points. Don't assume your children are Christians. I think this is another place where Christian parents take their foot off the pedal. Oh, they're Christians because they said they love Jesus when they're three. Well, every three-year-old who has no three-year-old looks at his Christian mom and dad and says, I deny Christ. That I don't think that's ever happened. Right? He's got good godly parents. So hopefully there's got to be more to it than that. Don't assume your children are Christians. 2 Corinthians 13.5. And I'm making a case here for examining our children. 2 Corinthians 13.5. Examine yourselves. Okay, so this is true for us, fathers. Is this going to be true for our kids? Examine, dads, what do you do? Examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Or do you not realize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you? Unless indeed you fail to meet the test. So what does Paul say? Don't assume. Don't make assumptions. I got baptized. I, I said a prayer. You know, I went to a lot of Christian concerts when I was younger. I go to church every week. I, I read Rob Bell. I do all these things that I've heard Christians do. I look like a Christian. I smell like a Christian. I must be a Christian. And don't assume that. You've got to go deeper and see if you pat. You've got to go to First John. Start reading First John. You pass the tests in First John. You got to go to Galatians. Is the Holy Spirit within you crying out, "Abba, Father"? Is there an inward testimony? You got to listen to what Paul says in Second Corinthians thirteen. Examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. So, dads, we must examine our children. We must examine our children. We're not, we're not um, um, trying to squash them, but we're not going to make assumptions. This could be very dangerous. We've got to, this is a line we have to walk. We need to examine our children. If we want them to be saved. Well, here's what we know. They're not born that way. I mean, 
Luke 1, maybe John the Baptist, you know, it says that he had the Holy Spirit in the womb. I'm not even sure that's crazy. It looks like John the Baptist was regenerated in the womb. But your kid's probably not John the Baptist. Probably not, you know, just came forth, you know, praising the Lord. And you know by now, you should know by now if you've got kids. And you're like, yep, it's clear, unregenerate. Holy Spirit was was nowhere near that womb. <laughs> well, it was near, you know, your wife, hopefully. But <laughs> our children are born sinful. Psalm fifty one. Um, and and as well, so don't expect our kids to be less. <laughs> this is this is really good when I heard this. And don't expect your children to be less sinful because they have Christian parents. I kind of thought that well, they've got Christian parents, so they're probably going to be less sinful. And I was surprised. Like they're pretty good at sin. They're pretty good at it. Your righteousness doesn't like rub off on them. Okay, our children, they are born sinful. So our kids, they need to be born again, just like we do. Our kids need to be born again. Okay? Nicodemus could have been five years old. What do I need to do? You need to be born again. Okay, we all need to be born again, and our children need to be born again. And our prayer and hope is at some point in their life, maybe young. They will be born again. So according to Proverbs 22, 6, if you're if you're teaching the children, if you're training your children up the way you should go, I do think that there's a there's a a, a, a non presumptuous expectation you can have that at some point your kids are going to be regenerated. I mean, God is certainly in the habit of saving the children of believers, of, of uh, certainly of saving the children of godly moms and dads who labor to bring their children up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. And Proverbs 22, if you do that, when they're old, they will not depart from it. So I think you can have a, a healthy expectation, but that is different from presuming. And so while you may have an expectation, my encouragement would be do not presume until you see the fruit of repentance and faith, which, by the way, more in a second, is very difficult to discern in a young child. So don't presume. Okay, until you see the fruit of repentance and faith. So nuts and bolts here. uh, Right. So in order for evangelism to take place. Okay, you need a sinner and a preacher. You need the law and the gospel. You've got a sinner, that's your kids, and you're the preacher, Dad. You're the preacher. Now, through setting and keeping biblical standards, your children are learning the law, aren't they? And, and, and the law is, is what, Paul says? The law is like a schoolmaster that leads you to Christ. How is the law like a schoolmaster that leads you to Christ? It makes you very desperate. Like, I am a screw-up. I cannot do this. I hear the standard, I know the standard, and I still, I break it, I break it, I break it. And what are the, what is the wages for that? Well, the wages is death. Now, you got your go here on, on earth, but then it's lights out. You know? Eat, drink, and be merry. Okay, because at some point, lights are out here, and, and then you're done. The eternal consequence. You don't get to, you don't get to live a life as a, as a, a hellish rebel and then go be with God in his kingdom. This is just not the universe that, that God made. And so our kids, they hear that and they hear the standard and it's, wow, okay? They should understand that. And, and then what do you alleviate that with? The gospel, the good news. We preach the gospel to 
our kids. A few points. Do not pressure your children. Don't pressure them. Children are, are, are malleable, they are gullible, and they are eager to please their parents. You can get your kids to say anything. You can get your kids to do anything. You can get your kids to believe everything. There are millions of kids today who believe in Santa Claus. They believe there is a fat guy in a sled with a reindeer flying through the sky in one night delivering presents to every home. And you have eight and nine-year-olds all over the world believing this right now. Why do they believe that? Because their parents told them. They have childlike faith. Right? They believe what they are told. So if, if you want to close the deal with your kids, that is not going to be a problem. So don't close the deal with your kids. Don't pressure them. Uh, do not call. We should not call our children to make a decision for Christ Amen. or to invite Jesus into their heart. Because anyone can you want to call your children to do something impossible. Faith and repentance. That's impossible. They can't just do that apart from a work of the Spirit in their heart. But if you tell them to make a decision for Jesus, sure. Son, I want you to make a decision that you are going to love Jesus with all, and then just going, okay, yes, Dad. Huh, that was easy. Welcome to the fold of God. Be careful. Be careful. Yeah, and then, then it goes down the and then it goes down the list. And you're baptized. Now you're a member. Um, okay, and then the child never never thinks twice about it. Until Matthew 7, he comes before God and God says, depart from me. I never knew you were a great churchgoer. And the kid's like, well, my mom and dad said I was a Christian. Pastor said I was a Christian. God says there was never any fruit, never any fruit. No one ever bothered to look for that. You just did the right things. It's a whitewashed tomb, a clean cup on the outside. You see the dangers. We, we preach the gospel to our kids and we call them to faith and repentance. We call them to call them to trust Jesus, to trust the gospel, to repent, to turn from their sin. As well, maybe think of it this way. Sow the gospel shrewdly. Sow the gospel shrewdly. So don't, don't, and this could be debatable. I think you, know, you preach the gospel all the time, definitely to believers. But I think you need to be careful with non-believers, especially non-believing kids. You say the gospel in different ways. Don't just have some gospel format that you have that you just spit out twice a day. Because you're going to inoculate them to that. Now they're just they're just not going to hear it anymore. Okay, so don't don't do it flippantly. Don't do it flippantly or constantly. Think about how you're communicating the gospel, and and pay attention to moments and times when your kid, just like you would with a, a friend, right? Have you not had experiences with friends where you've shared that you've noticed moments of, of, of where they're receptive? Well, your kids are the same way. There are times where they're really receptive. I've had I've had my boys just just crying their eyes out, right? Because they just feel like they cannot do what they're supposed to do. Well, hello. Okay, so the intro to that conversation is, well, neither can your dad, neither can I. I can't do it either. But let's talk about Christ. Let's talk about the gospel. You need to trust Him. You need to turn to Him. Now sign here. No, 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 no. Say this after me. No, 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 no. So real simply, preach, pray, look for fruit. Preach, pray, and look for fruit. That's it. Just preach the gospel. Pray for their hearts. No pressure. And then look for fruit. Look for signs of rebirth. Look for it in your kids. Okay, Peyton claimed that, you know, he, he made a profession of faith two years ago. 
And then we just worked together for, right, is that about right? For two years, just evaluating and looking for fruit of faith. Now, when he came to me and said, Dad, I think I'm a Christian, I didn't say, no, you're not. (laughs) So you don't, don't swing the other way. Not yet, son. Hold on. No, why? Because I see him sin all the time? Well, if that's the case, what's someone going to say about me? Oh, well, I'm saved, though. <laughs> no, but I mean, it was two years of just, okay, is there a hunger for the word? Is there a thirst for the word? Is there a hatred of sin? Is there a repentance? Is, you know, just trying to evaluate that and look for fruit. Fruit. So is there faith? Is, is the faith credible? I mean, we ask the same question with adults who say they're Christians. Here. Right, so certainly we should do the same with our children. Right? Though rare, a young child of Christians may be an outspoken unbeliever, but again, that's pretty rare. It is more likely that the child will be some level of professing believer. Right? They're professors at the very least, some level of professing believer. So they should be treated with respect as a professing believer, not necessarily, we don't know yet, a true regenerate believer, but they're professing it. I love Jesus. We're not going to say, no, you don't love Jesus, right? Okay, okay, good, I'm glad. And then we're watching and we're looking. Treated with respect because, because God is in the habit of saving the children of believers and so parents should hope for the best. That said, distinguishing real fruit can be difficult in a young child. Is their change in conduct truly the result of conversion? Or are they simply modifying their behavior to please mom and dad? Are they old enough to understand the realities of their sin and the realities of God's of God's grace? Okay, let's move on to the basically the last one, the 20 mechanics of fatherhood, I think here. Okay, Uh, 20 mechanics of fatherhood. So this is all almost word for word, and you'll see this on the outline from a sermon preached by Douglas Wilson last May, May of 2012, called Mechanics of Fatherhood. Uh, So uh, these are not all worded exactly the way I would word them. So if it sounds like that, that's why. But I think that these are all uh, good. It covers a lot of what we've already talked about. and just kind of comes back. It's just, it's just a helpful list. Like, okay, here's 20 things to kind of sink your teeth into and to pay attention to with Scripture references. And some of these, I'm guessing for us, some of them are going to feel like a pat on the back and some of them are going to feel like a punch in the mouth. So you hear some of these, this is what a father should do, and you'll be like, oh, I love that one. And you love it because you're probably decent at it. You're probably doing it. And others, others feel like me reading through this is just like a, it's just like a punch in the mouth. It's painful. But all of that is the grace of God. So if you come, like if you come here on a Sunday and you feel a pat on the back, whether you feel a pat on the back or a punch in the mouth, it's all the grace of God. Sometimes you need a pat on the back. Sometimes you need a punch in the mouth. And we're all like that. <laughs> sometimes you need both, yeah, or a kick in the groin, whatever it is. So some of these might feel like that. Put on your cup. Number one, love Jesus Christ and express that love by worshiping his father in the power of the spirit and do this as a gathered family on the Lord's day. Worship is a big deal. God honors those who honor him. That's first Samuel 230. God honors those who honor him. 
The chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever, which is a glorious encapsulation of what it's all about. So, first mechanic of fatherhood, love Jesus in front of your kids. May they see us loving God, loving Christ, looking to Christ. And may they see that worship is a big deal to us. So start get, if you've got little ones, or get your children ready the night before. You know, start talking. Start preparing them. We get a good night's sleep Saturday night. Why? Because of what we're doing tomorrow. Get up in the morning. Go over some expectations. This is what we're going to do. Be cheerful. Right? I mean, how many Christian families are cheerful on their way to church? This is the most uncheerful time. And everybody says, well, the enemy's attacking. I don't know. Maybe he is. But maybe we're just, we're just lazy about it. Cheerful on the way to worship. Right? Our kids see right through it if we're just all grim in the car and then we walk through the door and we're, you know, Deacon Bob and we're just happy, smiling ear to ear and everything's good. They, they know. They know it's a farce. They, they, know you, they know you don't really love God. So love God. Love God in front of your kids. You get emotional about God, let your kids see you get emotional about God. Pat, your kids don't have any problem with that, right? <laughs> That is, that is good. That should, that should come through. So make Sundays a big deal. Make the worship of God a big deal. And remember like the first answer to that first question in the Westminster Catechism. Okay, the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. This is a time of joy. Be joyful. Be happy. Smile. Laugh. Enjoy the full life that God has given us through Christ. No matter what your circumstances are. Then do this in front of our kids. Number two. Love your children by loving their mother. Love their mother by loving her children. This is the central way the gospel will be proclaimed in your home. Ephesians 5.25, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. So one of the most important ways that we love our kids is by loving our wives. So we bring the most security to our kids. How many, I mean, I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, but you know, those of you who grew up in, in broken homes where, where, where dad did not love mom. And that was a, that was not a good place to be. It was not a secure place to be. And even dads who are, who are at least outwardly super loving to their kids, but are outwardly unloving to their wives. The kids really wonder if it's legit. Because you're committed to her. You're in covenant with her. You said, I do. You love her. And you, you don't really love her. So you're telling me the same thing, making the same. Com- you see how that works. So we love our kids by, by loving our wives. And we, and we love our wives by loving our kids. One of the quotes he gave, he says, The way to a father's heart is through his stomach. The way to a mother's heart is through her children. That's true. I think my I think Kristen feels most loved when she Kristen feels really loved when she sees me loving the kids. She feels really, really loved. Number three, teach them to love the standard, which is not the same thing as merely requiring them to conform to the standard. This is a function of heart loyalty and you teach them to love the standard and to be loyal to you by loving the standard yourself and being loyal to them. Okay, I love you, son. I love God. I love his word. 
Son, love me, love God's word. You see, it's reciprocal. Proverbs twenty three twenty six. My son, give me your heart and let your eyes observe my ways. It does not say, son, give me your reluctant compliance. This is not the goal. Son, give me your heart. Give me. And what does that look like for a son to give his father? So it means a son is following dad. You know, if Peyton gives me his heart, then Peyton is going to imitate me as I imitate Christ. That's why I know I have his heart. I know I don't have his heart if he's like, I don't want to be a dad like you. I do not have his heart. I do not. I don't want to be. And some of you grew up like that. Some of, you, some of you know you don't want to be anything like your dad. What does that mean? Your dad does not have your heart. Give me your heart. And let your eyes observe my ways. Number four, said this last week, uh, so good. Your garden of yes should have a tree of no in it and not the other way around. Right? This is God. This is God with his children. Remember Genesis 2.16? I mean, this is the garden. Here's this beautiful garden. Here's all this wonderful fruit. Here's a beautiful wife. You're naked all the time. This is just gift, 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 gift. Absolutely no shame. It's wonderful. It's perfect. One tree, one bit of fruit. Don't eat that. So a tree of no in the middle of a garden of yeses. And, and we want to be that with our kids. So we don't want to because God is not. God is not a miser and you should not paint him as being one. He's not a skin flint. He's not stingy. He's not withholding. He's not Scrooge, right? That is not God. So we don't want to we don't want to be a garden of no, okay, with a tree of yes in it, if you're good. But it can be easy to fall into that. So no, no, no. Rules, rules, rules. Don't do this. Don't do this. Don't do this. Okay, And if you do all that well, then you'll have my heart. You'll have my affection. You'll have my love. You'll have my blessings. You'll have my rewards. You should start with the blessing and start with the rewards and start with the fellowship and start with the fun and start with the joy because you're my boy. You're my daughter. So you've got it. You've got it. That's the starting point. And there's there's some no's here. There's some no's here. Number five. Um, give them the Torah, not the Talmud. I don't know if that makes sense to you guys or not. I don't know how. The, the, so the Torah is the law and the Talmud is like all the extra pharisaical laws and traditions that are written in addition. So give our kids the Torah, not the Talmud. This is the difference between you know God's rules and house rules. So, so don't have, you know, uh, these are God's rules, you know, 10 of them. And these are dad's rules, 57 of them. We don't, that's not what we're going for. The law of God is simple to understand and can be easily summarized. So if your house rules are convoluted and Byzantine or just ornate and complex, then you have a problem. Matthew twenty-two forty. on these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. Almost, we'll go through this quick. Number six. Acknowledge your children all need to be converted, but do not do this with unequal weights and measures. If you apply impossible standards to your children, you are causing them to stumble. Beware of millstones as you bring them to Christ. So our children need to be converted, but be careful that you hold them to the same standard you, you hold me to. So in other words, it, don't, if your child you know, is, is a professing believer, if your child is a believer, child's a baptized believer, credible profession of faith or, or whatever, don't start questioning their faith just because you see them sin. 
Because again, how would you like that if somebody did that with you? I mean, there's more. There's there's more to it than that. There's more to it than that. Number seven, listen to our children. They are people. <laughs> it's funny how he says this. And it is possible to converse with them. You're not an oracle. Okay, so dad is not an oracle. Dad is not okay. Gather around me and and listen to as I impart truth to you. Uh, some of that, but that shouldn't be all it is. Uh it should be dialogue and it should be it should be listening to our kids. So don't one up your kids, don't interrupt your kids, don't don't you know, have your mind on something else when your kids are talking, don't be looking in a hundred directions, make eye contact, sit down with them, stop what you're doing, and listen to them when they're when they're when they're talking to you. Right? That's the sad thing, right? Is is when kids are little you know, when parents don't don't listen to them, and then when their kids get older, you know, parents want their kids to talk to them, and their kids are like, "No, thanks." You know, I t- tried talking to you for ten years, and you never stopped and listened. And so now, on the way home from school, how was your day? Fine is all you're getting every day. So we 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 want if if we can, if they're young or start now, we want to start listening so that our children learn that we want to hear them. As well, he says, "Be careful; your children are not deaf." So be careful how you talk about them in front of others. So like if your child's standing right there, don't don't talk to somebody about how little Johnny is having a hard time wetting his bed. He's not deaf. He can hear you. He's right there, and he's just been humiliated in front of your friends. Number eight, their food, shelter, and clothing take precedence over your toys. Exodus 21.10, if he takes another wife to himself, we're not promoting polygamy, by the way, but polygamy was a reality and God had to give some rules to keep it under control. If he takes another wife to himself, he shall not diminish her food, her clothing, or her marital rights. So it, it does make it clear that this is part of what being a father is and being a husband is. So food, shelter, clothing for our kids needs to take precedence over our toys or our movies or our golf or or our hobbies or whatever it is. Our resources are for our wife and for our, our children. That's where we, those we 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 uh, we get resources and we pass them on. This is this is all I do. I get a check and I just hand it over and then that's about it. Number nine, remember their frame. Right, remember our kids frame Psalm 103:14 for he knows our frame he remembers that we are dust so we we need to not impose things on our children that are more than they can bear for example don't don't skip naps keep kid little kids for example up until 11:30 withhold a real dinner and then discipline them for falling apart He says someone should discipline you for pulling them apart. So just pay attention to our kids' kids' frame. That happens often in our home. We're just like, you know what? I, I need to, you know, it's 9 o'clock at night, and it's just bananas. Just bananas. And, and I'll, I'll look at Kristen, and I'll say, don't give any more instructions. Don't give any more instructions. Because if you give them, they're, they're going to break them. And then we're going to have to deal with it. But they're, they're not going to be able to follow them right now. We kept them up too late. You know, they had four popsicles each. Okay, they just they just watched a wild movie. It's just so we need to just guide them, direct them, get them to sleep. It may take a while. It may take longer. But remember their frame. Number 10, eat together. 
I love this one. Eat together and not just as a refueling measure. This is how families become companions. The liberality that results in table, table fellowship is a big deal in Scripture. We've got a book about that, a meal with Jesus. Okay, Eating together is a huge deal in your Bible. The Bible says Jesus came to do three things, to seek and save the lost, to come and give his life as a ransom for many, and he came eating and drinking. That, defines, that, that summarizes the ministry of Christ. He came eating and drinking. There's significance there. So, so don't withhold that from your family. So if half your meals are eaten over a sink or in front of a television, then take stock of your situation. Number 11, respect your sons and love your daughters. Right, Ephesians 5 talks different. You know, boys and girls are different. Boys and girls have different needs. You love them all. You respect them all. But if you're going to lean one way, you, you respect your boys and you love your daughters. It does not mean that you don't love your sons or you don't respect your daughters, but it tells you which way to lean. Number, uh, number 12, tell stories together. Listen to stories together. The gospel is a story and we come to know one another truly as we come to know the genre. By telling stories, you come to realize that you are in one. Let your children tell stories. I thought that one was kind of weird, but I think I'm getting it. I think I'm getting it getting it more so I, I like that tell stories together as a family listen to your kids tell stories help them tell stories the gospel is a story the gospel is a story and we are in the middle of a story so it's good to see life that way number 13 you should want a home full of scripture a home full of joy a home full of music godly child rearing is spirit filled and it cannot be spirit spirit filled without becoming a musical Ephesians 5.19, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. Colossians 3.16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. It doesn't mean you want your home to be like a musical where you just awkwardly break out in song at really weird times, which is what musicals are, and they're so lame. You don't want your life to be that, but you 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 want your you you want there to be uh, music. I mean, really and metaphorically, you want there to be music and life and joy in your home, and you want that to just break out, to break out in your home. Number fourteen, give your children quantity time and don't try to sub in the guilt salve of so-called quality time. People have said, well, you know, I can't give my kids the quantity time, so I'm just going to make the time I have with them quality time. And that might be true, but sometimes that's, that's, that's not really true. And, and it's an excuse. Say, well, I'm more about quality than quantity. Well, our kids need quality and quantity. I mean, Deuteronomy 6, right? So some of us just probably need to be with our kids more and be engaged with them more. Sometimes you can't. Maybe you're shipped off. Maybe you've got to be away during the week. I understand the situations, but as much as you can, be with your children. Quantity time, quality time. Number 15, discipline, remember, should be a gift, not a grabbing. If you are retaliating against your children, then the whole thing is self-serving. Remember when we discipline and correct our children with Galatians 6.1. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of what? gentleness gentleness 
Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. So you know what you're tempted to do every time your child disregards your instruction? To not be gentle. It says, keep watch of yourself and respond with gentleness. 16. Uh, discipline should be judicious and, and not occasion for you to jump to conclusions. We, we covered that. 17. Uh, the pain of discipline should be acute, not chronic. So if there's discipline, if there is pain introduced into your child's life, it should be sharp, it should be acute, and it should be done, over with, gone. And then fellowship, restoration, joy, not this dull ache, you know, where parents give their kids the silent treatment or they're just not sweet to them for a while or they're giving them mean looks or they're withholding affection. No, the dis- that's, not, that's not godly. This is not God what it does with us. That's not biblical dis- discipline. The pain, if there's pain, should be acute, but not chronic. Painful, but not the pain of a dull ache week after week. Heartache is not discipline. Okay, so when sin comes into your home, the dragon's in your home, the dragon should be dealt with quickly, and then we should move on. And then we should just move on. Hebrews twelve eleven. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Remember number 18, the point of discipline is restored fellowship, not retribution. We're not getting back at our kids for something. The point is restoration, restored fellowship. There is a difference between discipline and punishment. Discipline is correction and can cease when correction is accomplished. Okay, so discipline is for the point of correcting our children. So when they're corrected and they're repentant, the discipline stops. It doesn't keep going, oh, well, no, I've decided that this this much. And so this is what I need to do. You don't make all your children spend the same amount of time in the tub for the sake of equality. Right? So if you, you, this kid's really dirty. This kid's not so dirty. Okay, so this kid's going to require less cleaning. Okay, and sometimes with your children, you're going to go to discipline them and you're going to start bringing things up and it's just just not a problem, right? Eyes well up. They start confessing sin, sin you didn't even know about and it's just, it's great. And then other times their heels are dug in and, okay, it's going to, it's going to be a, a different experience. What is the goal? Restored fellowship. The goal is restored fellowship. Number 19, just two more. Divided discipline is dangerous. Remember, father and mother are in this together. Scripture requires them to be honored together, and so they should work together. Don't allow your children to apply the tactic of divide and conquer. My kids know things that I'm easier on than Kristen, and they know things that Kristen is naturally easier on than me. So we have got to be saying they know who to go to at different occasions. And so typically if we do this well, one of them will come to us and we'll say, wait, I need to find out, you know, (laughs) what answer you've already been given. And then we'll go from there. And then number 20, prepare children for independence. We really need dads to do this, right? Prepare children for independence. Right? When when a child, when when a, when an 18, 19 year old has a failure to launch, that is a failure of his father. Genesis 2.24, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother. So leaving, leaving your mom and dad is a good thing. If Peyton grows up and he's you know, 18, 19 years old and he doesn't want to leave the home and start his own home, then I have royally screwed up. I have done something, something wrong. 
if my daughter is so clingy to me that she is not willing or wanting to submit herself to a new man and build a home with him, then I have done, I've done something wrong. That it is how God's universe works. That's how his world works. And that's how he means for us to work. We're moving towards independence. So don't make the, uh, at some point your children will want to go away. And that is a, that is a good, a good thing. Uh, just two closing words here. Um, this is the last point here is that all of this, all of this starts back to that responsibility. All of this starts with, with you and, and me as fathers. It is, it is up to us to, to initiate this and it's up to us to follow through with this. So for some of us, this, this probably starts with repentance. It starts from turning from some old ways, from putting some things off and, and putting some, some new things on. Remember that this is not meant to feel like a pile of bricks that's on top of us, but it's, it's meant to feel like a glorious privilege that we have been liberated uh, by God to do. Remember, it's, we're not trapped by circumstances. Remember, it's never too late. Remember, cycles can be, uh, can be broken no matter what sins have been committed, no matter how old our kids are. Uh, we don't have kids yet. Whatever it is, God's grace meets us where we are, not where we should have been. And remember, because I really do hope and want us to follow through with a lot of these mechanics that there there will be some ice breaking awkwardness perhaps in your family and your wife may look at you like what in the world are you doing who do you think you are press press on let me close with this quote and i'll pray Uh, another doug wilson quote from father hunger if I believe that God has assigned to me the responsibility for my wife and children, then I can take up that responsibility before him, and I can do this without anybody else having to know about it. A father can conduct these transactions with his father in secret, and his father who sees in secret will reward him openly. No one might see you change gears, but they can see that the car changed speeds. One of those open rewards is the grace of an honored authority in the home, one who is able to bring up children who love the standard. In other words, a father should be a father in the presence of God first. He should assume the mantle of that identity as assigned to him, and he should gladly take it on. Who he is before God is antecedent to what he does, being comes before doing. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the call of fatherhood. Thank you for children. And thank you for uh, the privilege, God, that you give us uh, to lead, to love, to teach, to evangelize, to guide these children. God, I pray that you would give the encouragement and the, the, the equipping needed for all fathers and fathers-to-be who are here uh, at whatever stage of, of their fatherhood they find themselves in. I pray that you would give them great grace. Grace to do impossible things for your glory. And God, for those of us with children, and maybe 
even those of us who will have children, uh, we pray now that you would save our boys and girls, that you would save our sons and daughters. God, cause us to be faithful and save our children. God, save our children in spite of our unfaithfulness. We pray that our children would hear you say, Come to me, you who are thirsty. And God, we pray that they would be thirsty. And we pray that they would believe you, that they would believe God, that they would believe you when you say that your waters never run dry. That you meet all their needs in Christ Jesus. And we pray that our children would run to you and turn from sin and Satan and this world and themselves and turn to you. This is our hope and this is our prayer. And we pray this together, gathered here in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.